Anthony, thank you once again for joining me. Chris, it is so good to be with you and your listeners. Uh, Thanks for taking this time. I've had more people who have told me that they've been listening to these uh, short reflections and insights on the pilgrimage that we're about to take and just becoming more and more aware of Teresa of Avila. Yeah, she's a great gift to the church. Uh, When Paul VI declared her as the second doctor of the church, declared, I think, Catherine of Siena was first, but they were declared like a month apart. I think Paul VI, uh, way back in the 70s, was trying to direct the church to the witness of Teresa of Avila has definitive importance for our time. Because I think some of the the issues that we're facing in our time today were issues that they faced in some way uh, back in the 16th century. So considering her witness and her teaching, her interiority, I think gives uh, the, whole, the whole church a way forward as we work through the new evangelization that uh, Pope Francis is calling us to today. What's so key in understanding Teresa's role, Anthony, at least for me, is that she is this great uh, doctor of the church, this mystic, this one who would teach us so much about prayer, but also she was an incredible part of the great reform, the renewal of the church. And I don't know if we, we identify her as strongly as maybe we should. The great spiritual theologian Jordan Almond, the Angelicum, observed, and I, I don't know if he's written this, but he made the observation during class that there was there has never been a renewal of the church that was not preceded by a renewal of a mental prayer or contemplation. Um, and that's definitely the case with uh, Teresa of Avila. Teresa, her contribution to mental prayer is itself fascinating. Uh, her family, within just a couple generations before her, converted from Judaism to Christianity. And there were many other families who made this move. And in coming to Christianity, one of the the things these new converts discovered was that personal relationship with Christ and the need for uh, personal prayer. Literature begins to explode even just before uh, the birth of of Teresa of Avila. There are great movements, a a renewal movement in Montserrat, but that's where Ignatius of Loyola will have his conversion or part of his conversion. Other works uh, begin to get written. In, it's kind of fun to think about. In 1515, John of Avila has gone off to law, uh, law school. He's studying to be a, a lawyer. He's in his teenage years, and it's about this year, 1515, 1516, that he begins to feel called to the priesthood, and he will take a year uh, off just to pray and discern what this is that the Lord's calling him to. So John of Avila is a doctor of the church. Teresa of Avila is a doctor of the church. We have Ignatius of Loyola. His conversion begins to happen around the same time period. All this huge movement begins, and and one of the two things that each of the figures that have in common that I've just listed is that they're vital to the renewal of the church in the 16th century and beyond, and they're all people of very deep and intense mental prayer. She's a witness how these two things go together. And the reason why that's intriguing is a lot of people look at contemplation or mental prayer or personal prayer as kind of an escape from reality or a therapeutic thing where I kind of recover from, from life's bruises and so forth. And it can be all that, but it's more than that. In the case of, of Ignatius of Loyola or John of Avila, also at the same time period, Philip Neri, in their cases, 
deep mental prayer contemplation asserted them more deeply in the mission of the church. Many years later, in 1573, Teresa of Avila will write a letter to the, the king of Spain, his name, Philip II. At this stage in her life, she, she's already had her conversion. She was 39 when she had a, a deeper, renewed conversion to the Lord. And that conversion unfolds for a few few years, and as it unfolds, she realizes she needs to start a reform of the Carmelites so that they can return to the discipline of mental prayer the interesting thing that happens is she returns to a discipline of the Christian life and kind of organizes other sisters to do the same thing. And as they enter more deeply into prayer, one of the things that happens is rather than everybody kind of thanking them for it and being excited about the good things they're doing, instead there was a lot of defensiveness and uh, envy and jealousy. And so there were a lot of kind of political and difficult uh, challenges that Teresa had. And so she writes the King of Spain. And in this exchange with the king of Spain, he's also in, in the thick of it. Uh, although he won the Battle of Lepanto a couple years before, when she's writing the letter, there's a new armada from the Islamic Empire in, in Turkey that, that's sailing towards Spain again. And he doesn't have the resources to deal with them the way he did the first time. And at the same time, there's a Protestant revolt in northern Europe. He just uh, tried to establish peace up there and thought he had it all under control, and it broke out again. And so everything that he tried to do as a good Catholic monarch to save the faith and promote it and to keep it pure, it's all falling down around him. And Teresa writes him and says, you know, my sisters are praying for you in this time. They're, they're praying for you. And because they are praying for you, you have a vested interest in seeing us thrive. And so I, I'm sending uh, someone with this letter that uh, you need to talk to so that what we're doing in the Carmelite reform can, can continue to be a blessing of intercessory prayer for your efforts. Do you see what she just did? You would mm -hmm. think contemplative prayer was running away from all the political things. Instead, she's saying, look, you know, you're under fire right now, and me and my sisters are standing with you, and we can continue to stand with you, but we need your help. And so mental prayer, uh, intercessory prayer, actually implicates her in the great uh, world happenings of the time. And at the same time, it implicates, you know, uh, uh, political leaders like Philip II into promoting the work of prayer. If they, if they want the blessing of God and divine guidance for their efforts, they need to help promote and protect this heart of the church, which is the contemplative vocation. It's an interesting thing about Philip II. Uh, he, he himself uh, was a very devout man. He, he built his royal palace, uh, Escorial, which we will see on this trip. He built it completely around the Blessed Sacrament. And even his room was positioned so that when he laid in his bed, he could look down through a window and look at the Blessed Sacrament. Uh, just before he fell asleep. And, and in fact, that's how he died. He died looking at the Blessed Sacrament during the celebration of the Mass. Wasn't well, it interesting, too, Anthony, that the state of the world, essentially, there was chaos and a lot of fear. And the, and the church is under attack, and, we, and there was so much going on. And yet, this call for the interior renewal, which when you, especially when you read Teresa of Avila and those and her contemporaries, that ends up causing the uh, a balance to occur in the results in the world. I mean, it first has to start with that interior renewal of the person, and then that person's engagement 
in the world where God has placed them, whether it's in a Carmel or it's out in the in the world stage. You know, a- absolutely right. And, and it's a curious thing, too. As you are interiorly renewed, you help other people in their lives of prayer and, and their devotion to the presence of God who's with us. In just the example we just looked at, you know, I, I can't say this with absolute certitude, but I can't help but con- connect the interiority, contemplative prayer of Teresa of Avila and the communities that she helped formed with this awareness that Philip II had that he needed to build his kingdom around the presence, the real presence of the Lord. What was the great achievement of politics in Spain and military power in Spain? There were a lot of failures, but the great achievement was Spain will become a main engine for the promotion of the church and fidelity to to the faith and devotion to the Lord for years to come. This is the same period, incidentally, that the evangelization of the Americas is taking place. And while there were a lot of failures in that and and maybe some methods that, that were used that were not good, there were also a lot of successes because the the gospel of Christ really was brought to America. This would have been after the time of the apparition of Our Lady of Guadalupe. This time, Teresa and Philip II are trying to figure out how to promote mental prayer and protect it in Spain. The same time that's going on in America, the people are, are being baptized on a daily basis by the tens of thousands. And so the you know, continent is, is being evangelized. All of that apostolic work and all of that building up of Christendom happened because Teresa of Avila understood that mental prayer is not an escape, but is actually a more vital engagement with the plan of God who is at work in the world. And so this pilgrimage is going to be all, all about exploring those kind of issues, seeing those kind of, of connections as they unfolded in her life and her life story, and as they unfolded in the building up of a, and renewal of the church in Spain, which becomes a renewal of the faith of the, of the universal church, setting a standard for centuries to come. Well, and as we explore that interior renewal, that, that reform over the next you know, weeks leading up to the pilgrimage, the months and weeks leading up to the pilgrimage, but also in our experience there, we know that God works in those moments. And how blessed, I'm going to go back and say it again, how blessed we are to have someone who can help guide us through it, like yourself, and also having a chaplain like Father Giles Dimmick. Oh, it's going, that's going to be an extraordinary experience. Really, to understand Teresa of Avila, it's, it's impossible to understand Teresa's uh, witness if we ourselves aren't vulnerable to a deeper encounter with the Lord. And Father Giles is well known from his years as a professor at Steubenville and his work with uh, vocations in the Dominican order through the decades. He is a preacher who leads people into that deep encounter because he's a very prayerful man. Pope Francis has talked about the importance of the whole church, all of us, renewing our encounter uh, with the risen Lord because it's in that encounter that we find the joy we need to preach the gospel of Christ. And Teresa of Avila witnessed to that joy, but to, to make sense out of the joy she was witnessing to and the energy and the enthusiasm she had for the things of God and to come challenges, to understand all of that, you need to be vulnerable to meeting the Lord in a deeper and more powerful way. I think this pilgrimage is going to be saturated with, filled with those opportunities. We'll 
will be participating in Holy Week liturgies in Spain. They have beautiful processions and deep moments of liturgical prayer. We'll be visiting these holy sites, the relics of, of Teresa of Avila and John of the Cross, and and seeing the place where the, the Carmelite reform, the Discalced Carmelite reform uh, was begun, the incarnation that Teresa returned to after starting the Discalced reform. She returned to the ancient observance, her monastery at the incarnation in Avila, and helped begin to renew that monastery in a deeper, more vibrant way. And all these places of deep prayer and encounter and renewal of the church, filled with our own liturgies and, and times of prayer and, and reflection, it's going to be a powerful, powerful moment where I think the Lord will come to us, where the, the gift of the encounter that Teresa had with the Lord that changed the 16th century will, in a certain sense, be extended to us so that that grace, in a certain way, can be renewed in us, in our lives, in our families, and in our communities. You talk about powerful, Anthony. I mean, when you think about it, it because, as you said, for King Philip, but in particular for the Carmelites and Teresa and St. John, that love and relationship with Christ Jesus, and in particular, like in the Eucharist and and in the Passion of our Lord, and here we are going to be there in the the holiest of weeks, yeah, the holiest of moments. I mean, thank goodness we have you and Father Giles to help get us through all that because I think it's going to be really transformative of the heart. It's going to wow. Well, these kind of anniversaries in the lives, uh, in the life of the church, the anniversary of the birth of a saint like Teresa of Avila, they're always occasion of great joy. But uh, while you're thinking, I, I was remembering a, a, a quip from Teresa of Avila. She writes that in Carmel, there's no space or room for long-faced saints. She wanted saints who are filled with joy and ready to reveal that joy to one another in, in their communities way of supporting each other in deep prayer. And I think our own pilgrimage is going to be a very joyful experience as we receive that challenge and admonition from her to be joyful in our encounter with the Lord. I'll have to try to make sure everybody has castanets (laughs) on the pilgrimage. How's that? I think that would (laughs) make Teresa happy. Yeah, I think that would be a good move. Uh, Any final thoughts on this particular segment on our pilgrimage? To go on a pilgrimage, it, it's really a special calling. And, and so for those who feel called, I, I invite you to begin your spiritual preparation for this pilgrimage already today. If, if you don't know if you're spiritually called to this great work of following in the footsteps of Teresa of Avila, we'll pray about that and ask the Lord through the intercession of St. Teresa whether or not this is a journey uh, he's inviting you to take. These journeys always require a great sacrifice, not only financially, but in terms of time and a time spent away from loved ones, and that can be difficult, and there'll be sacrifices. But I think the gifts that the Lord wants to give you if he's called you to this are so great and abundant, and that it will be the kind of experience that carries you for the rest of your life in our journey together to our heavenly homeland. In our next talk, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about another who walked in the footsteps of Teresa of Avalon. I think that's somebody we're going to get to know, too, on this pilgrimage, and that's St. John of the Cross. Yes, indeed. I look forward to that conversation. Five hundred years ago, on March 28th, a great mystic, founder, reformer, and doctor of the church was born, St. Teresa of Avila. From March 27th to April 6, 2015, you're invited to join me, Chris McGregor, of Discerning Hearts, 
on a spiritual journey through Holy Week and Easter in the footsteps of St. Teresa of Avila in Spain. Father Giles Demick will serve as our chaplain, and along with Dr. Anthony Lillis, will serve as our spiritual guides. To learn how you can become a part of this wonderful pilgrimage experience, visit discerninghearts.com. Thank you.